stay around. Yeah. Some friends, some friends. Some friends don't stay. Some friends don't stay. So, by every account, this episode of the Lions 24-7 podcast, uh, episode number 10, should be short. We are entering the dead period. I am on the cusp of vacation, and there's generally no news around Penn State football. However, we make no promises around here about the length of the episode podcast. Andrew Callahan alongside Sean Fitz, talking what else, the Nittany Lions. Uh, But we're still going to have some fun today, and I think we're going to be able to keep this under 30 minutes. Do you have any faith in us? I'm stunned you're on vacation. You haven't mentioned that at all during the podcast, (laughs) at least. I I think it was just last episode, but last episode was so long, it might have... It sounds like you're telling it might me might have been a couple here. times. Yeah. yeah. We could use some time apart, I guess. Checked out. No. Yeah. Uh, but a great first nine episodes. Hopefully round this out with number 10 before we take a quick break. Uh, on the episode this week, we're going to talk about the true freshmen who have arrived on campus. Uh, we're going to get into guys who can make an early impact, perhaps sleepers for longer-term impact. It's Michigan week on the site, previewing the uh, Wolverines coming in for week eight, right after Penn State has its bye in late October. And then we're going to get finally into your mailbag questions, of which we have a couple that really cover a lot of different topics. Uh, but getting right into it, two freshmen coming in, 21-person class, including the early enrollees, four obviously already on campus. We've talked plenty about them. One guy who we both agree could step onto the field if needed within this class, C.J. Thorpe, top 100 player, big guard, you know, fits the size that you want right now, should he be able to plug and play, and strangely been overlooked to this point, you know, in terms of conversation about guys, you know, who are really good gets for this class. Yeah, he ended up in the top 100 uh, at the end of last se- uh, the last cycle, and I think that uh, was a result of maybe his play on the national level at the Under Armour game, his play with Pittsburgh Central Catholic, and I think he's a guy where you put him in a in in a big cage with some some sizable guys, some guys that are uh, among the top in the country, and he responded very well. Uh, he came out, he's he's a brawler, but he's also got some technique, uh, you know, to back him right there. So I think he's a, he's a guy that you look at that uh, the linemen aren't flashy. He's a guy that's maybe six three, he's a little sloppy, probably three twenty or so. Uh, I think he could really benefit from a redshirt year. You get him in the weight room, you take right. some of that weight off, and you put it back on. He's probably going to play at three twenty three, three twenty five. But got long arms. He could, you know, potentially play tackle if you needed to, based on his length, which you don't see with a lot of guys that are about six three. So there's a lot to like with Thorpe, and I think just he brings a, a bit of toughness that sort of has been missing over the last couple of years. You, you know, you've got some talented guys, some good guys, and and I think they have a great interior offensive line room right now with McGovern and Mennett and Gonzalez and some of those younger younger guys. But Thorpe will bring another mean guy like a Mike Miranda that will come in, he'll punch you in the face. And this this offensive line class wasn't as highly regarded as the class before it with McGovern and Mennett and some of those guys. But but I think Thorpe and Miranda are, are high floor guys, talented guys that could come in and solidify guard, center, what have you, and and really make an impact over the next couple of years. So, so when we talk about being overlooked, yes, he was a top 100 guy, but I don't think he was talked about as much as the Lamont Wades or, you know, even no. towards the end of the uh, cycle, like an Ellis Brooks, who was also an Under Armour All-American. So I, I think that Thorpe is a guy that many people may be sleeping on just because we didn't hear a ton about him through the process. And he's a pretty good player. Very good player. Uh, top rated freshman coming on to campus this week. As mentioned, we've talked plenty about the early enrollees. Uh, so Thorpe, 
ideally would not make or take any snaps this year for the reasons you just mentioned. You know, Mennett, McGovern, they've got a good core in there. Miranda perhaps could see some action. And thank God, because a couple of years ago they would have needed him right away. I sure. mean, you just would have seen him thrown into the fire. I think he's he's that good, and he probably would have had to learn, uh, you know, by example. And uh, that's probably not the best way to go about it. And we've mentioned it before, the redshirt years are just so valuable. You saw what Ryan Bates was able to do. Mm-hmm. I think you'll see it with Mennett and with Will Fries and just getting those guys accustomed to campus and, and and into the flow of things, I think will benefit them immensely like it has done Bates. So it, it, it's really, I think, an ideal situation to redshirt him, but you could play him if he needed to. Right. Penn State in a much better situation than it has been in, in recent years. And even going back to last year, you know, with injuries hit, Bates had been at left guard, kicks out to left tackle. Now you've got totally fresh faces there uh, on the interior especially, you know, for games late down the stretch, Big Ten Championship game, Rose Bowl. Ideally, C.J. Thorpe does not have to follow in those same footsteps. We both agree could be a guy from a talent level that could really force himself into the conversation. But guys on the, in this class who could also do the same that are being overlooked, uh, you mentioned one of them. For me, I think Ellis Brooks could perhaps make that, just depending again on the injury situation and how, you know, his pedigree is there. He's a guy who could play multiple spots in the mic or will, I think. And it's just a matter of, you know, what do you do from day one and how quickly can you grow? Yeah, I think that the linebacker position, as we saw last year, lends itself to playing fairly early. Should have redshirted Cam Brown. I don't think there's any question about that, but he stepped in there and, you know, he played okay at times and he looked like a, a true freshman who probably should have taken a redshirt at others. So uh, not not ideal to put throw all these guys in the fire, but Ellis Brooks has the size already. He's nearly 240 pounds. He can stick there at, at Mike behind Cabinda, behind Brandon Smith or Jake Cooper if they need him. Um, so I think that Brooks, when you're taking a look at this class, which doesn't have a ton of early impact guys, when you take a look at this class, Brooks is a guy that jumps out as a, as a potential, uh, not difference maker, but a guy you can plug in. And, and those guys that are 6'2", 235, 240, they can find a niche on special teams. They can help you cover kicks and, and really help your roster more so than just being the third or fourth middle linebacker. Of course, Penn State made it to like their 12th middle linebacker last year. Yes. So so it, it's definitely a situation where he could come and play looking down the roster I think the opportunity is there. Redshirt probably would be a good thing for him. But at the end of the day, I mean, if you need him, he's a guy that can step in and play maybe more ready than some of the linebackers that have done in the last couple of years. In the last commit of this class, Drew Castro Fields, they were, you know, we had a press conference delayed with the coaches waiting and then cheering once he finally made his commitment. Is another guy based on opportunity and also the length and physicality that he brings could step onto the field immediately and, and perhaps make an impact that people right now, and rightfully so, don't expect. Yeah, I talked to Castro Fields just before he came up to Penn State, and we talked about that signing day and that was a roller coaster for him because he committed to Penn State really early in the morning but really did have second thoughts and admitted you know he probably wasn't going to flip schools but you know he kind of second guessed himself all day until he picked the hat in the afternoon and sent the paperwork in Penn State was expecting his paperwork I think to come through at like 8 30 and then they were expecting it at 9 30 and 11 and it just wasn't coming and there was a lot of you know sort of a cloud of doubt starting to come over that but he eventually came around um you know Castro Fields was a guy who almost committed in January and then sort of took a step back. I think he had a lot of people telling him, you know, the different things. Maryland wanted to, to stay home. Alabama was trying to keep him warm just in case they would have a spot open up for him at the last minute. So it was just a, a really uh, not fun recruitment to follow, but there was a lot of drama involved and there was a lot uh, there was a lot going on behind the scenes. And, and you know, eventually he, he went with his gut and picked Penn State. And he, I think he's pretty happy he did. And he's got an opportunity to play this year. John Reed went down. Um, you know, they've got some corners 
corners. They've got some corner depth, but Castro Fields is, is, is sort of like Christian Campbell in that he's an outlier from a size aspect. He's 6'1", he's 185, I think he's about 188 right now. So, uh, and, and on the site we have him listed at 173. So yep. he's put on 15 pounds in the last year. He played last season about 172 pounds, I think he said. So he's put on some weight. He's coming in. He's hoping to contribute. And he's another one of those long athletic guys that if you need them to com- contribute on special teams, if you need them to play a little bit of uh, spot corner, he can do that. And I think uh, athletically, there aren't a whole lot of guys in the class like Castro Field. So if you're looking for an early impact guy, I think he can be that guy. I think they've got some talented quarters. And of course, Lamont Wade is going to play as a freshman. I don't have any yeah. doubts about that, but we're not talking about early enrollees right now. But right behind him, Castro Field's a very, very talented player. Long term. Uh, I'm going to go Sean Clifford. You know, right now, not entirely healthy, but coming onto campus, I think he'll have an opportunity in the coming years. And of course, you know, the, the decommitment of Justin Fields plays into this decision for me. But, you know, you look at a guy who's our first commit of the class, obviously wants to be here, works his tail off, high character, brings a good deal of accuracy, and is mobile enough to fit in the system. So I think when you mix all those factors in, in terms of someone who could really, you know, etch a name out for himself. Long term, certainly not this season, but I think you'll hear a lot more from Sean Clifford in the future. Yeah, and suddenly a little bit more important now with uh, Justin Fields off the board. So uh, Clifford is a guy that's coming in, uh, of course, had the shoulder injury, had fe- had surgery in February. So I think they'll, they'll keep a leash on him early, even though he says he doesn't think they will. But Zembeck came in with a uh, similar uh, similar shoulder issue last year, and they sort of kept a, a close eye on him. So Clifford is a guy athletic enough to move around in the pocket, um, you know, still, still make some throws, and he's a winner. He won a state title this year on a bum hamstring and a bad shoulder and, and sort of uh, was the was the glue behind that. So, you know, I, I agree with you. I think he can be a long-term thing. He's got to get stronger. He's only about 205 pounds right now. So it's going to be a couple of years. But luckily for Penn State, they've, they've got Trace McSorley two more years. They've, you know, got Tom, Tommy Steen is a couple more years, hopefully. And and, and we'll see when, when that job does open up. I think Clifford can certainly compete. The guy that I look for, and, and I've been saying this for a long time, uh, Yeter Matos has as much upside as any defensive end that they've brought in, including Shane Simmons, including some of those guys, uh, Sharif Miller. And he's just another in that, that assembly line. And I think he can be, I, I, honestly, I think he can be an All-American type player. He's He's got wow. very good athleticism, great length, great size. Um, it's, it's really comical because I wear size uh, 14 shoes. And I put my shoes up beside him, and they, they look like child shoes. I, mean, I think he's got a size 18 or something like that. And uh, it, it's just fun to be, it's been fun to watch him grow. Penn State was on him early, got a great relationship with him, his, his father, and, and that whole family. And, you know, they love Penn State. And, and I think uh, he's done it on the field, set the sack record at Chancellor, and know his coaches very well. They've just been. Uh, you know, over the moon about his potential. And I, I agree. He's a guy that rose up the rankings as the year went on. And when he fills out and he's only, and I say only 235, 240 pounds right now, he looks like he's about 215. He looks like Sharif Miller when he came in at 215, 220 pounds. So Matos is going to be a 270 pound guy that can play on the edge. He's got burst. And I think he's, he's a guy, probably the gem of the class when you're talking about long-term potential. Um, do they need him right away? I don't think so, but no. I think he's a fantastic prospect, and he's a guy that they're they're really going to benefit from having on the roster in, in two or three years. Matos, uh, as the 2017 cycle wrapped up, was the number 203 uh, overall prospect in that cycle. Number five defensive end. So I think that speaks to any time you're in a top five for certain positions, uh, and we should amend that to strong side defensive end. But, you know, you're in the conversation there with the potential to be, as you mentioned, perhaps All-American. I think that's still, you know, high just because it's such a select group. But, you know, funny enough, one person you would want backing you up in that kind of proclamation 
is the guy who's now his head coach and James Franklin who brought up Matos as perhaps a sleeper of the class. And he was just saying that, as he explained it, in terms of the uh, small amount of conversation that had been held around Matos, but probably for the same reasons you mentioned, you know, a little bit more raw, not going to contribute right away. Not that many of these kids will, but, you know, long-term has as much potential of anybody in the class, uh, perhaps of this, you know, defensive end group as it's currently uh, constituted, but there's a long way to go there. A guy he's going to play next to, too, Fred Hanser, too, could make an impact. There's a guy who's filled out now uh, and is just, you know, kind of buried in the depth chart as it stands. Yeah, he filled out, and he actually filled out a little too much. I think he was up over 320, 325, and, and got that down, to his credit, down to 305, 310 uh, by the by the end of the season last year. So uh, I think he's he needs a little bit of reshaping, and most plus 300-plus pound defensive tackles do. Um, but yeah, he's a strong kid. He's, he's probably going to end up playing in a one technique he could play a nose guard if you did if you did do a three four or something like that so he's a strong kid he's he's got underrated athleticism for his size and uh really a guy that you know i i, I kind of was was cooling on in the process just because of the added weight he looked like he lost some explosiveness he looked like he lost that and he came back as a senior put the work in and, and got where he needed to be and really had a a, a good senior year so do do you need him right now? You've got a glut of defensive tackles in front of him. You've got Parker and Curtis. You've got uh, Givens and and Windsor and Tyrell Chavis and Ellison Jordan, who they're high on as well. So do you need him right now? Not really, but I th- I'd throw him into that category like an Ellis Brooks, where if you did need him, I think he could he could step in there and he could hold his ground. So that wraps it up for the freshman discussion. Again, they're on campus. A lot of ways to go, but a couple of guys who we picked in terms of maybe instant impact that you might see in the field this year that you might not otherwise. Tree Castro Field, Ellis Brooks, long term. I like Sean Clifford, mentioned Uter Matos, and of course Fred Hanser. Yeah, I'll, and I'll throw Des well. Holmes in there as well. We didn't talk, yeah. really talk about offensive tackles, but uh, Holmes is a guy that they saw in camp. They liked him. Uh, had a good week at the Big 33, from what I understand. And I think he's a guy that uh, at 6'5, 325 or so, he's a guy that can is not going to play in the next couple of years but once he fills out I think he can he can be a player so they're they're really high on Des Holmes and I'm I'm really interested to see how his career takes uh, takes flight uh, I think he's on the right track he's slimmed down a little bit and then he's added some weight back so we'll see uh, just another guy to throw in that the, the staff's pretty high on now a lot of these guys were in attendance were for the whiteout game last year against Ohio State. Obviously, no matter who you are, that's going to be a memorable night. Uh, helps sway a couple of these kids that have to imagine at least solidify things. This year, the whiteout game is going to be Michigan. Now, we've run through the first six games for Penn State on the site, ending last week with Northwestern Week. I think many fans expect them to be 6-0. You know, what I've been pushing leading up to this week, Michigan Week, is that Indiana and Northwestern are going to be more difficult than people realize. Iowa, perhaps a little bit easier, but of course, anything can happen. It's early season in college football, most unpredictable sport of them all. Now, with Michigan, a lot of the conversation in the offseason centers around what they lost. So it's not so much about 2017, it's about 2016 and all of the starters that are now gone. You're looking at 10 guys defensively, you've only bring about four or five on offense, but of course, they're deep, they're talented, and now they're going to roll out these guys that have been recruited since Harbaugh got there, and it's kind of a matter of what do you have now. In, the, in their defense, five of those guys was Jabril Peppers, so I think they'll, <laughs> they'll be okay. No, I mean, there, there's, a, there's a bunch of talent on that roster, but yeah, experience is something that, that you're never going to be able to fully replace. So they they have the ability to do so, uh, and getting Penn State in the middle of the season will, will give them that ability to work through some of those those kinks that they're going to have to work out. And of course, they got Florida right off the bat, so that'll be 
interesting. Uh, you know, both uh, both teams have a lot to work on, but at the same time, they're going to have talent because they are Florida, they are Michigan. I think the biggest question that I have is a quarterback. Um, you know, this this is never going to be. I don't think a quarterback centric place. They have some good guys in in uh, in place right now, but Wilton Spate, if he is the guy, which I I fully expect him to be. Is he the guy that can win him games rather than just managing that? And and we saw at the end of the season last year that they struggled in games that they had to come out and be better than the other team and just you know sort of uh, of course you want to be better than the other team any day that's, that's <laughs> well absurd in the statement big, by me, in but. the bigger spots and you mentioned right. at the end of the season so like the stakes raise you know does your game go up with it as well and I think people forget you know they lost an Ohio State game for the better part of three quarters they were dominating the Buckeyes and a lot of that had to do with the defense that was the best in the country one of the best I w- I would put up with in the last ten years of college football. As I mentioned, a lot of those guys are gone. Uh, but credit Wilton Spade for fighting through a lot of injury at that time when it was just, at least I presume, like there's no way this kid is going to see the field, let alone against a very good defense. It's probably going to land on him a couple of times during the course of the game. Of course, it eventually slips away. Ohio State wins in overtime. Penn State goes to the Big Ten Championship. Now, moving ahead, Wilton Spade does feel a little bit of pressure. He had a poor spring game. Uh, his backup redshirt freshman, Brandon Peters, performed pretty well and had a good spring. That's a Steve Wiltfong special, by the way. He loves Brandon Peters. He does. He loves Brandon. He's an Indiana guy, so you know Steve loves him. Hey, Steve loves him. So do I. I got I got all the faith in the world in that guy, of course. Uh, but you know, moving ahead, you know they've got some weapons to replace on the outside. You know, right now you hear a lot of different names thrown around: a wide receiver, a couple at running back. So it's it's similar saying in which you talk about with quarterbacks. You know, if you have two quarterbacks, you don't really have any. If you have about eight wide receivers, do you really have any? I think they'll probably find a couple of those guys by the time they come to Happy Valley. Uh, in week eight, but you know, right now it's still TBD. Defensively, oddly enough, I have more confidence in that unit being able to replace what they've lost a year ago, and not in the essence of they're going to be number one in the country again. But Don Brown is, is if not the best defensive coordinator in the country, he, he's certainly in your top five, top ten discussion. And you've got a defensive line, you know, with Rashawn Gary who's going to step in, former number one overall recruit from a recent cycle. Um, Mo Hurst inside is the best interior pass rusher in the country per pro football focus. Again, take that as you will. But nonetheless, guys who could have come out in Mo Hurst, been a high draft pick, certainly will be in 2018. And a couple of former Penn State recruits around them now who should be able to make an impact. Yeah, Gary, I think, is going to have a big year. I think he's as talented as, as any defensive lineman that's coming out of the Northeast in a, in a while. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's just, uh, he's a difference maker. They'll put him at end. They can put him at tackle kind of similar to what we talked about a couple weeks ago with Christian Wilkins and, and Clemson. He can, he can line up all over the field. He's athletic enough. He's huge. I mean, he's, he's a, been a big kid from the start. I think Penn state got him on campus as a freshman for camp and he looked like a senior then. So I, I think Rayshon Gary is going to have a, a, a game changing type of year. Um, is he, is he there all American yet? I don't know. Uh, I haven't seen enough of him to, to, to make that uh, determination, but yeah, Gary and Hurst, uh, certainly a good nucleus to build from. And like we mentioned, they've recruited very well. They've recruited numbers, uh, you know, just all over the place. And, and I think they'll be, they'll be okay defensively. Uh, Chase Winovich, uh, is a Western PA kid that, uh, you know, Penn state was a little bit slow on offering. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, uh, uh, it, it's a very talented defense. It can be a fast defense, and, and and you know I think it's a good thing that Penn State's getting them at home because by that time in the season they may have clicked and, and be a very good football team. I think somebody picked them to win the Big Ten last week. Uh, I'm not sure off the top of my head who that was. I don't think they're there yet, but I think they they've got a lot to work with. Yeah, they're going to be in the mix. People forget how good they were, you know, leading up for the first three quarters of the season, and, and that memory of how they faltered late, you know, obviously sticks in your mind. And then the bowl loss to Florida State, which was a tremendous game, but I think. 
The bigger point is they've got depth, a lot of talent, certainly question marks, but if they're able to answer most of those in a positive fashion over the first half of the season, you know, this is going to be a great ball game come week eight. Uh, White out should be a night kickoff. Still waiting on those details of Penn State, Michigan, you know, should be like most Penn State, Michigan games uh, of recent past and that it'll be back and forth and, and a whole lot of fun. And, and that'll be the big recruiting weekend. No doubt about it. Yes. Uh, Pitt's going to be huge. Uh, Michigan, as always, is going to be huge. And we talked uh, we talked about the 20, uh, excuse me, the 2017 class. So many of those guys were in attendance at some of those games, maybe not necessarily last year, but the year before, uh, you know, when Ohio State, when Michigan comes to town. That's your opportunity to show them that your biggest it's probably your biggest bargaining chip is that big time atmosphere and Beaver Stadium at night is is very hard to uh to, to top if you're other schools. So Penn State's gonna have a ton of guys on campus for both of those and it should be uh should be a, a really good weekend. Big week. Big week. Uh, wrapping up the episode, as always, with mailbag questions. Uh, one of those recruits who, of course, Penn State would love to land. I think, you know, you've seen the 247 crystal ball uh, start to turn around for P.J. Mustafer. He, as you reported, is going to be a lash bash. Yeah, uh, that's a, that was a subject of probably about three or four chat questions off the bat last week. Uh, yeah, Mustafer is a guy that they've coveted for a, a while now. They were, I think, his second offer after Maryland, maybe. Um, but yeah, it's it, it's a great opportunity to get him back on campus. And Lash Bash, of course, July fifteenth uh, is going to be an opportunity to get some of those those top guys on campus in the dead period right now. Um, and I don't know that uh, how many of our listeners are are up on the rules, but they're in the dead period from the end of June to the beginning of July. Just gives the coaches a couple of weeks to to get on vacation, get a uniform. Uh, uh, law across the land, I guess, and and get those guys away from it. They they work so many hours throughout the year, and I think it's mostly for their wives that put this uh, this this uh, rule in order. But yeah, they're not going to be able to have uh, players back on campus until mid July, and Penn State will try to get that momentum rolling once again on July fifteenth with the Lash Bash. Uh, a lot of top guys have said they're coming. We'll, we'll come out with a list closer to the. Uh, the uh, the event itself, but Mustafer is a guy that uh, you know Penn State had on campus in May. Uh, thought he was really close to to pulling the trigger there, to, uh, tapped the brakes a little bit, wanted to talk it over with his family, which uh, you know his, his older brother Sam plays at Notre Dame, so they've been through the process before. They know the ins and outs of it. I think they you know just want to make every make sure everything's all right, keep that uh, that commitment word that we talk about that we throw around so much uh, in check, and, and and I think Penn State still got as good a shot as anybody. I think the they're the leader. They lead on the crystal ball um, as we're recording this and I don't expect that to change before uh, July 15th so um, you know, will, will a commitment come? I think we're too far in advance to say, but Penn State would love to get him in that defensive line class. They'd love to get uh, Adam to Dorian Hardy, and there's a couple other guys that they they would really like to uh, fill out the five or possibly six man defensive line class. I think Mustafer's a a really good athlete, three technique all the way, six four and a half, two ninety, good wrestler. He's got a lot of background that you like, and of course he's got that pedigree mm-hmm. um, with his brother. Penn State, I think, has done a phenomenal job recruiting him to date, and I think they're they're probably in a, a pretty good spot right now. So, thumbs up for that question: is is he likely to land? Will he be a lash bash? Yes, and yes, and you know, again, all things trending towards uh, Penn State commitment, still undecided. But you know, uh, I think for somebody who's been through the process, I think you know the point is to commit once you know for sure, and they're uh, in the process yeah. of sifting that out. Tennessee's still right there. He's talked about visiting them again in July. Maryland, he went there a few times in June. Uh, and I think Maryland has probably made a bigger impact than a lot of people will realize or admit. So um, it, it's going to be Penn State's opportunity to show him what he what he really enjoyed on campus so much last time he was on campus, and and they'll get that shot again, and we'll see what happens. You mentioned Dorian Hardy, uh, first, well, second defensive line commit of the class. The second only one, first defensive the, line, yeah, the only the yeah. only one still standing in the in the class as a commit. 
Um, you know, when you look at this group, and this is another question that we had, who among the 2018 commits could step in now as the 2017 class is entering campus could come in and perhaps not play immediately, but, you know, physically is ready to roll at that college level right now? I like Justin Shorter. Uh, you know that. I, I, I think the world of him, 6'4", 220. He's got the speed. Um, you know, I have to work on his route running a lot, and uh, I think that, you know, he'll get there. He, he's an elite wide receiver. Could have five-star potential. I think he's in the mid-30s right now, or at, right, I think right at 40 right now in the composite. So he'll have that opportunity to show what he can do out at the opening, and then he'll get the Under Armour All-American game. So he's going to be going up against top competition, and I think he's as good as any wide receiver Penn State's recruited in the last couple of years, and you know, including Juwan Johnson, Irv Charles, yeah. and you know, going back to Blacknell and, and Godwin. I mean, this kid's got all the potential to be right up there at the top, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm really interested to see what he can do at the college level because I think he's uh, physically, he's close to anybody that's come in in the last couple of years. And physically, I think, is where my mind goes to this question. It's not so much a matter of talent because you look at the way this class is trending, and it's, it's the top five class currently in the country. So a lot of these kids obviously have plenty of ability, but who right now for this question could could leap their last year of high school and contribute or at least play on scout team uh, for Penn State? And I think physically is where Pat Fryermuth, the tight end in a Massachusetts four-star guy just inside the top 200 right now, could do that. You know, he, he's around 250 pounds six foot five you know can contribute in multiple ways and Zach Coots another tight end is ranked a little bit ahead of him but I think physically could have a little bit more uh, filling out to do with that you know six seven six eight frame so when you look at Firemuth the guy who can contribute you know whether you just need an inline blocking tight end you know can catch passes over the middle good athleticism uh, and, and time to work in that skill set which will benefit him when they eventually do arrive in 2018 but for right now if you got to pluck a kid immediately and say hey we need you you know with the way that position is and that you have to serve so many different roles that H-back spot, I think you could do at least a couple of them uh, serviceably and, and be able to contribute with the class that's stepping on right now. Of course, thankfully for all these kids that we mentioned, short, uh, Shorter and Firemuth, they have another year to develop uh, and bring their games to a high level because they'll replace, be replacing a huge 2017 senior class and a couple of early, uh, you know, we presume underclassmen leaving early for the NFL uh, coming about, you know, nine, ten months. Yeah, and he's from New England, and he's, uh, you mentioned H-back, so that's close to your love as a fullback, so I love I, the fullback. I, I think he can come, yeah, he's a guy that he's, I think Kuntz has three inches on him, but Fryermuth has about 30 pounds on him, so do the math, I mean, that's a, that's a big difference in mass, so um, Fryermuth is a guy I think can come in, he he's plays a little bit more physical, Kuntz is more of a wide receiver type, but uh, he's a talented kid, um, and if you're looking at instant impact, we talk about how physically these physically ready are these kids, and yeah, Fryermuth and uh, Justin Shorter is physically ready as anybody in that class, and and I think that's the one thing I'll circle back around if you if I can get off point here is you look at the offensive lineman in that class, and and and, and Nana Asidu is is highly rated right now. He's I don't think he's anywhere ready to play. I mean he's he's six five six six two fifty right now. He's got a ways to go in development, but so he's highly ranked right now. But at the same time, he, he's not going to be ready to go um so i i think it's there's a big difference between being a highly rated prospect and a guy that's going to come in and make a splash right away those two guys just happen to be pretty highly rated themselves so we'll see um you know we'll see in this advanced hypothetical if, if they can do that but yeah it'll be it'll be fun to see where they're at when they get on the campus 
No more hypotheticals to the last mailbag question asking who is the best teacher or technician among assistants on the staff. And I'll get in here because, you know, when I look at this question, I initially kind of want to brush it aside and say as much as, you know, media has certainly more access than the average fan. Uh, in terms of practice, we get maybe five minutes and it's always just very, you know, benign stuff during the season or perhaps during spring ball. So there's not a whole lot of observation you can do. And of course, I our eyes are drawn to, you know, where who's missing, you know, who's emerging, what plays are being what's made. What's going on. Yeah, yes. what, what's happening besides the coaches. So, w- truthfully, there's no great answer, one that you could really kind of nail down and offer. But but there are some anecdotes that, that Sean and I can both share. And that I'll go with Matt Limegrover. The offensive line just arrived uh, just over a year ago here to Penn State. You've only heard glowing reviews, not only from players, but other assistants on the staff. And a lot of it has to do with his approach and that he's very much a teacher first. And I think the guys have explained that you know when he goes about whatever technique it might be or a certain scheme or whatever they're working on is that he explains why they're doing it and then we'll go back over it in a way that's different from you know some folks who might come from a more pro style background where it's just kind of a job this is what we're going to do there are no questions this is this is exactly how it is and it's not that you know there aren't any questions allowed with certain other offensive line coaches but the way he goes about it teaches and then cares about your development with a certain technique goes a long way which I think you know instills better learning habits uh, and all also offers a better environment for learning, you know, from his perspective, just as a teacher. So in terms of best teacher technician, you know, long way to go. Wasn't a strength of this team a year ago. Has the potential to be next season. But in that classroom on the field, you know, Lyman Grover, I think, you know, certainly deserves some mention in this conversation. Yeah, and, and staying on the offensive side of the ball, I don't think people realize the nuances of being a wide receiver. I mean, you, you've got these guys that are freak athletes, probably the best athletes on the team that can come in, big size, uh, all that kind of stuff. And and you'd think you can just plug them and play them. But Josh Gaddis does, you know, he drills these guys. I mean, it's just stuff that, that you wouldn't even think about as a wide receiver. So, um, to to get on the field as, as a Penn State wide receiver, I think it's going to take a little bit more than just being an athletic guy that can run and, and whatnot. So uh, I think when you look at the difference between uh, Chris Godwin and, say, Blacknell, Blacknell probably more athletic, um, and that's saying something because Chris Godwin's a heck of an athlete, but Blacknell just as, as a raw product, a raw piece of clay, may have a little bit more to work with. Chris Godwin a little bit better on the technique. He really uh, took a lot of the stuff that Chris, uh, that, excuse me, that Josh Gaddis uh, taught him to heart and ter- turned himself into an early early entry uh, draftable guy that's having a heck of a spring summer in uh, in Tampa. So Gaddis, um, y- you'll notice the difference been between guys like Juwan Johnson and Urban Charles, where Johnson, I think, put the work exactly. in to, to be where he needed to be this spring, and he had the spring that he had to, and Juwan Johnson is probably the, the, the fifth guy or the sixth guy right now. So uh, you look at uh, the differences and the, the little subtle nuances, and that's not saying that Juwan Johnson's not a, a better athlete, but Urban Charles is right there with him physically. So, uh, you know, I think that that's what you look at when you talk about the offensive side of the ball. I think Josh Gaddis, the coaching job that he does um, to get these guys into the right spots, into the roots and stuff, it, it goes overlooked, but I think it, it bears mention. Well, I think, and just to give a couple quick examples, because you can imagine, you know, the, these receivers only have two, two and a half seconds, of course, it could open, sometimes even less, ideally. But you're talking about your different releases off the line, you know, how to adjust to press, press bail, or off coverage, or reading coverage and adjusting on the fly. Now, are you making, you know, your third or fourth step when you're turning in, you know, on a slant? You know, what's what's the depth of, of a variety of different things that are going on, using leverage to your advantage, you know, trying to get into a certain cornerback? Like, all these things have to happen so fast, you've got to recognize and adjust, but there's also the matter of, you know, playing naturally and being able to go through at full speed 
speed and not, you know, processing, you know, on the fly where you're just reacting and going. And I think, you know, you have any sort of misstep, you know, that can mean the difference between incompletion, six yards or six points. Yeah. And in high school, some of these guys are running a, a nine root tree. I mean, right. and they can just, just get open naturally. Just doesn't happen in college. And you think about all the, all the option routes that you have to, to, to go on the fly with. And it's just, uh, it, it really uh, makes you think about how difficult it is to be a wide receiver and how difficult it is to be a wide receiver coach to make sure they're in the right spot. And, and guys run wrong, or, excuse me, guys run wrong routes all the time. But, you know, you haven't seen a ton of that at Penn State. So uh, those are two guys on the offense side of the ball. On the defense side of the ball, there's two more guys that I like, uh, you know, Brent Pry, obviously, he, he leads the way as defensive coordinator. He's a technical guy. He's uh, You get in there, he, he's not going to talk to you as much X's and O's as Bob Shoup would have, but he's a technical guy. He, he likes his guys being in the right place. And, um, you know, I think uh, the development of a guy like Koa Farmer is somebody that, that, that speaks to what Brent Pry has been able to do as a linebacker coach. Uh, Koa, a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago, was nowhere near being a guy that was ready to play linebacker at Penn State. Right. He's come along. I uh, still got some work to do as, you know, as a drive and attack guy, but he's still got some work to do uh, out in space. Um, but yeah, I think he's made an incredible improvement, was one of the most improved defensive players last year for Penn State. So Brent Prize, a guy that, that, that I like, he's a traditional throwback guy and probably going to be a head coach at some point. And and in front of him, Sean Spencer, uh, and it goes back, I think we're, we're grading Sean Spencer on a curve because the bar was set so insanely high with Larry Johnson, probably the best teacher among defensive line coaches in the country. Sean Spencer hasn't really dropped off. Um, I think that they've done a great job in developing those guys. Of course, he had the, the trio of really talented guys that are now in the NFL two years ago, but he did a great job of, of rebounding with guys like Garrett Sickles and Evan Schwan and uh, you know, there was a drop off. We expected a drop off, but at the same time, but it was pretty, uh, pretty efficient defensive line. So I think Sean Spencer doesn't probably get enough credit in in terms of technical coaching. He's, I think people think he's more of a rah rah type guy, which he is, no no doubt about it. A little bit louder than Larry Johnson, but is probably one of the. I think. I don't think it's overstating. He's probably one of the best defensive line coaches in the country. Well, and I'll, you know, again, cite something that was different. Uh, Andy Staples, I think, came out you know, of Sports Illustrated in terms of constructing his own staff. I don't know how many months ago. Sean Spencer was the only Penn State assistant to get a, a mention on there. And this was after the season that they had had. And I think, you know, you're not only grading on a curve based on who he's replacing, but also the talent with which he's had to work. And, yeah, you could cite, you know, Austin Johnson, Paul Nassib and all that. But Nassib, as everyone knew, you know, made such strides, you know, five years, walk on, added however much weight, uh, you know, Austin Johnson, of course, all the potential, Anthony Zettel, but they're still making progress, getting better under Spencer, and then there really wasn't, you know, in terms of a pass rush perspective, you know, different in terms of total sacks, different in terms of pressures, but, you know, he's making the most out of what he has, and if they're able to recruit with guys we just mentioned, P.J. Mustafer, you know, you could see guys hitting the field even earlier, and then just imagine where they are once they leave under under his tutelage. Yeah, he's got a great opportunity over the next couple of years to work. And I, I think the defensive end spot on the roster, uh, moving forward with, uh, we talked about Matos earlier, but Shane Spencer and Shaka Tony and Daniel Joseph from the last class. And they've got a couple of guys, Sharif Miller and, and Ryan Buckholtz. And th- there's as much talent there as there is anywhere. So, uh, you know, I think it's... Uh, it's really going to be fun to see what Spencer's able to do. They want to keep him. They want to keep him in that role, and and he's a great motivator for those kids. And you know, like I said, one of the elite defensive line coaches in the country. And and by the way, it's it's okay to admit Larry Johnson's still a really good football coach, yeah, even though silly he commits, not to. <laughs> commits it, even though he coaches at Ohio State now. Two of the best have come through Penn State in the last uh, few years, and I think that uh, you know the the Penn State fans probably been a little spo- spoiled by the amount of talent they have coaching the coaching up their talent. A lot of wild dogs out there. 
so many wild dogs, and, and they've branded well, too. Yeah, yeah. And it's been a wild ride here. Episode number 10 is uh, coming to a close. It, I don't know. It feels like it went by a little fast. I don't know. Does it feel like it's been a long uh, long journey for you? It's only been 34 minutes, but you're on vacation. so No, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not even talking just about the length of this episode. I'm talking about like the first time we came down here and did this. Because you'll remember the, the audio for that first podcast. We didn't know it at the time, but it was like... You know, we we were talking underwater almost, and look how look how clear we uh, sound now. Yeah, we appear to sound clear right now. I don't know. <laughs> but. We'll leave that up to the reviews, which, of course, as we mentioned many times, please find us on iTunes, Stitcher. We're now on Google Play, uh, a variety of different places. You know, the reviews so far have been great, but again, we appreciate all feedback, good or bad. Uh, this has been episode number 10 of Lions 24-7 Podcast. Over time, all the time, every night, it. Ready my blessing, I'm ready, I'll wait. Never let a friendship get in my way. Never let a block get in my way. Make the whole song do whatever.